0: Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. This week, I'm so excited to be joined by Ben Gilpin. Ben is the principal at Warner Elementary in Spring Arbor, Michigan, blogger, presenter, and co-host of the School Leadership Unearthed Ed podcast. Ben, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Hey, I'm delighted. Thanks for having me on, Josh.
0: Ben, as you know, the show is centered on leadership development. I would love to hear your personal leadership journey and how you became an administrator.
1: Oh, my journey. Okay. I guess I'll start from the beginning. And I'm not talking about the toddler stage. (laughs) Uh, To start from the beginning, in high school, in high school, I um, had no idea that I wanted to be an educator. In fact, in high school, I wanted to be far, far away from education. I was a decent student. I will say, quote unquote, I knew how to play the game. Mm -hmm. I didn't really love school, but it was a means to an end, and I wanted to play college golf. And so I got a scholarship to play uh, college golf at uh, a school in Indiana. I planned on being a professional golfer. I quickly realized that it takes quite a bit to be in that stage, and I didn't know if I loved it. Mm So I still remember I was, um, I was in a small town in Southern Michigan with my girlfriend, um, who's now my wife, and um, I was also with my parents, and we were basically brainstorming, what am I good at and what would I want to do basically when I graduate? And I'm in college at this point. So as an educator, keep in mind that so often I hear other educators say, well, what are you going to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. I didn't know what I was going to be when I was going to grow up until I got into college. So that is not a question that I typically ask kids because I know where I stood. I basically did this gigantic pros and cons of what I'm good at. And one thing I loved is I loved working with people. I always felt like I was great working with kids because some of my summer work was doing camps, working with kids and sports. I always really enjoyed working with kids. And at that point, I thought, you know what? I could be a teacher. I think I could probably be a really good teacher. And so then I started with my classes and just had a phenomenal experience. Um, One of my greatest experiences as a college student was in Fort Wayne, Indiana, inner city Fort Wayne, Indiana. And there was a shop teacher that just blew my mind. He connected with, with the kids in a way I'd never seen happen before. And I still remember, I mean, this is decades later, I look back and I think to myself, there's a big part of what I watched in those practicum classes that I thought that's who I want to be. And my guess is, if you're in education, you've got somebody along the way that influenced you like that. And that's that just so happened to be in my college practicum classes in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So, and then I guess uh, you know I uh, decided to to come back to Michigan. I was very very fortunate. I interviewed four times. I interviewed for a first uh, first grade, a third grade, a fourth grade, and a fifth grade position. And I'm not saying this to brag. I'm just saying this just to basically state the facts. I had four offers to, uh, to teach. And they were all at different districts. And here's the kicker. I decided to go back to the school that I was a student. So I went and I became, a, I was a fifth grade teacher at um, a small school in Southern Michigan, which is exactly the same school I was a student, <laughs> I taught across the hall from my own teacher in fifth grade. Wow! <laughs> and so that was that was it was a great experience, but it was also bizarre because in some respects I was treated like a professional, mm-hmm. and in other respects I was still a kid. Sure. handful of years in, then um, you know I decided I I thought I could maybe you know get my master's and and figure out what's next. And I had one teacher in particular, Uh, her name is Sherry, and Sherry basically said, you are going to be an amazing leader. And she kept nudging me, and I still look back today and say, she saw leadership qualities in me before I even saw them in myself. So I'm grateful for Sherry's push. Just uh, as fate would have it, I threw my name in the ring, and I was fortunate enough to uh, land the, the principal position at Warner Elementary after nine years in fifth grade at the school that I was also a student in. Oh wow, so So you
0: went straight from a teacher to a principal? I did. So that's quite a jump there. So in your new role as a principal, what was the largest misconception as you began your
1: administrative experience? Okay, so let me put this out there for you. I was 32. Oh wow. I was 32 and I had a principal position. I had one teacher on staff that was younger than me. Um, How do you think that went? Yeah. I can guess. (laughs) I was the outsider. I was, um, uh, that was really interesting. So that my biggest misconception, my biggest struggle, my biggest misconception was clearly discipline. I became principal at a a school that I was not that familiar with. It was fairly close. It was only about 20 minutes from my, from where I was teaching. Um, But I was the outsider. And uh, discipline was definitely the number one thing. Because as the principal, The way, the traditional, the traditional method years ago was the iron fist. Mm -hmm. And okay, if you're in the principal's office, you're going to spend a lot of time in the principal's office and you're going to deal with discipline and you're going to call parents. And when kids misbehave, you are going to, you are going to hand down the consequences. That was not my style. I wanted to be in the classrooms. I wanted to be with the kids. I wanted to get to know my teachers. And I, I believe I believe I really made some people uncomfortable because I did not want to be the quote unquote, traditional principal. Building trust took time, honestly took time. And I was also this 32 year old kid that how much could I really know? Years one and two, (laughs) years one and two, uh, I wouldn't ever take them away, but I would never want to do them again.
0: Sure. And so as an administrator, what was one area that you wanted to change in education?
1: Uh, Let's go big. Joshua, I would say getting rid of grade levels. Hmm. Right now, I feel like grade levels kind of restrict. And, you know, if you you think about it, and you've got five kids. So I think think you see this all the time, too. Kids develop at different rates. You might have a child walking at nine months, and another one might be walking at 15 months. Mm -hmm. You might have a, a child potty trained at two years old, and it might be the next one might be four. You might have a student um, talking or, or a kid talking at, uh, at maybe, I don't know, what, 16 months yeah. or so. You might have another one that's actually saying sentences and reading books at the age of three. The development of kids is, is so varied that I struggle with the fact that when we get to school, we put everybody in a box. And we basically say, okay, you're five, so you're going to be in this box and you're going to do this. And then when you're six, you're going to be in this box and you're going to do this. And I just I feel like that's a, I, I just feel like there's there's got to be that's such an old traditional method mm-hmm. that a better way of schooling is is trying to meet students where they are and have flexible learning zones. I think and uh, going along those same lines, too much of our educational process focuses on a balance, trying to get kids good at everything, rather than really focusing on what their true strength is. You know, I think to myself, um, I, I remember as a teacher, I had some kids that were flat out amazing at math. However, we spent maybe, I don't know, 55 to 70 minutes of our day on math. What they really wanted to do is they probably wanted to spend three hours on math. Mm-hmm. And it, that just didn't fit into our curriculum. I feel like that's a detriment too so number one grade levels and number two i wish we focused more on strengths and less on the balancing act
0: as you were you know this young principal coming in um, i'm assuming that you had some new ideas and there was probably some resistance with change did you ever get the response this is how we always had done it
1: so you were here (laughs) (laughs) you were you were here somewhere (laughs) in my walls yes um Honestly, honestly, Joshua, I still get it. I still get comments like that. You know, it's change is hard for people. I'm I'm a big believer in the research and the language of Rick DeFore, Becky DeFore, Mike Matos, Anthony Muhammad. And it's one thing to have an expertise and to be a professional, but it's another thing to be completely disregarding of current best practice. And I do feel in the education profession, there are times that we become very comfortable with what we've always done. I, I do believe that that's, that's a detriment to moving forward. I'm a believer in continuous learning and exiting that comfort zone. The interesting piece in all of that, though, is what we have to do as leaders is we have to meet our teachers where they are. Mm-hmm. We If we have blanket statements and we just say, You know, everybody's going to get to here. That's a disservice to so many teachers. What we have to do is we have to take the time to figure out where is each teacher on the continuum and how do we help them take their individual next step? And honestly, I do still get that the the remarks about this is the way I've always done it or this has always worked. So those are opportunities for me to to push in and say, well, what about or hey, one day a week one day a week why don't we try this and let's just talk about it and see how it goes the other part is when it doesn't go well sticking with it and not just that was a one-shot deal and i'm going to give up on it because i think that that sometimes happens too with teachers and it's and it's really because and i'm going to make it i'm going to make a blanket statement which i don't like to do but a lot of teachers were great students I think that that means that they really want to do well and they want to do well the first time and I realize that's not the case in every situation but I think that's the case in a lot of situations and so helping people kind of develop that grit and also develop the ability to it it might be a little bit messy got to be okay with the messiness
0: so I love that you were talking about you were changing the perception of what a principal is and getting into classrooms. So as the mm-hmm. instructional leader, how do you help your teachers grow in their knowledge and teaching strategies?
1: That's a, that's a, a little bit of a juggling act, but I'm also going to tell you it's, it's about giving the opportunities. What, what's the saying uh, about, um, you can take a horse to water, but you can't force him to drink. Yep. I mean, isn't that the, I think that's a saying. Yep. Um, if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, I'm sure Brad Gustafson will definitely tell me. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but basically giving people the opportunity is really what I'm what I'm all about. I'm not going to necessarily force somebody because what I've learned in my in my time on this planet is that if you're not invested and you don't put in the effort, you can do something and it's not going to make you any better. I, I mean and that goes for anything. You know, I like to run. You know, if I go out and I'm running and I'm running 15 minute miles. I'm not putting my heart into it. I'm not gonna get any faster. Um, my marathon times aren't gonna be any better. My 5K times aren't gonna be any better. I can check the box and say I did it, but I'm not gonna get any better. And so I, I don't I don't like to force people. I don't like to give directives. I like to give opportunities, and I like to encourage and try to get people to then say, see the value in it themselves.
0: As a leader, you're probably looking for other leaders on your campus. What are some characteristics that you believe every leader should possess in a similar
1: role? Well, everybody's leadership style is a little bit different. Some people are a little bit more authoritative. Some people are maybe more top-down. Ultimately, I'm gonna tell you, and this is not lip service, this is just the true me. I don't believe my role is any more important than another role in the school. And I'm gonna give you an example. Custodian. Mm -hmm. The custodian position most people are not gonna see that as a critical position in the building. I would say it's extremely critical because if the custodian doesn't do their job, that's going to impact every single classroom and and in all likelihood, it's also going to impact the learning environment as well, especially in an elementary when you're gonna have kids on the carpets in the mornings. If I'm not here on a given day, let's say Thursday, tomorrow, whatever, I don't happen to show up. I'm sick tomorrow. The school building will still go on. It will still function. So no, the number one thing as a leader I have to understand is I have an important role, but everybody has an important role. So I'm, I'm under the mindset of we all have to do our job. If we all do our job well, then the school is going to run very efficiently and effectively. But if I put myself above others that's when things start to break down. That's First and foremost, I would just simply tell you that um, I think everybody's role is critical. Now, as far as building up leaders, over the course of my first several years, one thing that I really wanted to do is I wanted to to give teachers voice. One thing I'm really proud of is I have co-presented or watched my teachers present sessions at national conferences or state conferences and i've had 14 out of 20 teachers do that. And the other the the handful that didn't do it, i will simply tell you they have no desire to do it. <laughs> even though i've tried to get them to. So 14 different teachers have either co-presented with me or presented on their own. The feedback that they tell me, i had no idea somebody wanted to hear what i had to say. And so i'm I'm absolutely trying to add value to them and show them that they're a professional and they are and they are somebody that people do want to hear and, and people do want to to learn from. That's the first component of trying to build up leadership. The second is the philosophy that no one role is more important than another really creates more of a shared leadership model. And so I've got several teachers in the building that on any given day, I will say, hey, do you got a few minutes to talk about this situation? Um, and, and I'm very careful to not, um, violate any, any confidentiality or anything like that, but it's just involving them and being extremely transparent and letting them be a part of the leadership. And here's, here's a quote that kind of sums it up. This is by Cheryl Sandberg. And so Cheryl said, leadership is about making others better as a result of your presence and making sure that impact lasts in your absence. And to me, that's, that's one of the key pieces for me because when I'm not here, how's the school going to run? Mm-hmm. At some point, if I decide, you know what, I am going to retire with my wife and travel the entire country, the school has to function. It's just like a parent. I would imagine you've got five kids mm-hmm. that you want, you want better for them than you want for yourself. That's definitely. Right. So I'm looking at the same way. I want better for Warner Elementary than me, I, it's all about building them up and and being the best that we absolutely can be. So that's the I would say that would be the shared leadership aspect. One thing, kind of a, can be a little bit of a gripe of mine. I understand the idea, and I and you know jo, uh, Joe Sanfilippo is a great friend of mine, and you know he and I talk frequently, and and I know um, and I know Eric Sheninger and and you know a lot of great guys. Um. I know the whole premise about telling your school story, and I'm a believer in that. I do think that there are times that some leaders become blinded and end up making the focus more about them than their schools and their teachers and their students. And I was a blogger, and I still am a blogger, but I blogged probably... I would say for seven years, I didn't miss a week. Wow. I had a blog out there every single week, um, and I was really proud of it, and I loved blogging. The problem, the problem I started to see is I saw a, a shift in attention, and it started to look like it was all about individuals and less about the whole. You know, I haven't really shared this with a lot of people, but but I'll tell you, I've pulled back from social media. And I've pulled back from blogging, not because I don't see value, but because I don't want a perception that it's all about Ben. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that up and coming aspiring leaders clearly understand it's not about you. It's about the organization. It's about the school. It's about the teachers. It's about the students. It's about the community. It's not about you. And I think that is that is a piece of information that if you just live on social media, can get pretty blurry.
0: For those starting their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them to become a leader on their campus? And not just so much in the
1: actions, but actual title. Okay, so this is, gonna, <laughs> this is a bit of a curveball for you. And I learned this through Simon Sinek. Stephen Shedledsky and it's the uh, Start With Why movement. Mm -hmm. I wholeheartedly believe this. For leaders to be, in my opinion, first of all, leaders need to have a servant service mentality. It's got to be about service, service to others, making others better before yourself. But the other piece is, if you think about it like a ladder, the people that have the biggest impact on kids every single day are teachers, not principals, not superintendents, not central office. The people that have the biggest impact on kids every single day are teachers. Who can have the biggest impact on the teachers? The principals. Yep. And so my advice would be that as a principal, you have to build up your teachers, if if your focus is a hundred percent on kids, you're missing a huge piece. Because there is no way if you've got hundreds of kids in your in your building, there's no way you can impact every single kid every single day. But you know who can? Your teachers. And so my my advice to aspiring principals is focus on your teachers because they are going to be the ones that can impact the kids every single day.
0: So, in addition to your admin position, you speak at conferences. Obviously, you blog, and you're very active mm-hmm. on social media. But how did you find your voice beyond the campus?
1: It started with blogging. You know, as as I shared with you, my first couple of years were not the easiest years. I still remember it like it was yesterday. It was um, March, 2011. And I was going through a pretty rough patch and I went home and I remember telling my wife that, um, I didn't think I was cut out to be principal. And I just said, you know, I, I was defeated. I was, um, I was pretty down and she said, no, you're great. You're, I mean, she did everything. She did everything a supportive spouse would, would do. And she's, she's always there for me, which, which I'm forever grateful for. Um, she said all the right things and then, you know, I turned on and she said, "Hey, you know what? Just just let it go. Tomorrow's a new day. It's going to be fine." And and so I, you know, I was watching, I don't know, some reruns of Friends or Seinfeld or something like that and and I decided to pull out my computer and I decided I was going to look into this thing I was hearing a little bit about at some of my conferences, this thing called Twitter. <laughs> Ever heard of it? Yeah, just a few times. <laughs> just a little bit. And so I jumped on Twitter and I thought, okay, I'm hearing everybody talk about the uh, food or, um, or some type of, uh, you know, a way to do a political rant. Well, I, cl- I happened to just put in my profile stuff and I put in, you know, educator. And, and then so immediately I get, I get a, a dozen people worth following and I'm clicking on names and then I'm looking and I'm seeing all of these educational things and I'm going, Oh, well, what do you know? And then I'm, I'm clicking on a hashtag, which I really don't even know what a hashtag is, but I'm clicking. I figure, what harm can it do? I'm, I'm at the end of my rope right now as far as how I feel about education, so I'm just trying to learn. And I happen to run across um, two principals, both in Wisconsin: uh, Jessica Johnson, mm-hmm. Kurt Reese. Um, and so I'm clicking on, I'm clicking on their names, and I actually, Kurt and I kind of went back and forth way back in the day, and. Um, he shared with me this like digital um, staff newsletter or kind of like a blog. And I thought, you know, I need to find my way. I need to find my voice. And so to go back to your question, how did I find my voice? I, I give a huge assist to Jessica Johnson and Kurt Reese for being willing to respond to this crazy guy from Michigan way back in 2011 but I also that kind of tipped me off to I'm going to try something. So I started a blog. And it was called the Colorful Principle, and the name the name really came from, you know, I, I typically wear shirts and ties almost every single day, and I like to wear bright colors. And I had one of my kindergarten kids said, "You're always colorful," and so I went with the colorful principle. And the the idea behind it as well is you know positivity, not this doom and gloom. So. Um, The Colorful Principle was born and for roughly six years, like I said, I blogged every single week and I made, I got to tell you, I made so many friendships that are still friendships today that I do believe people figured out who I am by reading a lot of my blog posts Mm -hmm. and that that was definitely my voice from there from there i think it it um evolved to podcasting and and it also evolved to attending conferences and and speaking and and you know i even had a great opportunity to um co-author a Corwin press book on um redesigning learning spaces mm-hmm. so i have to really say you know blogging was the whole start for me
0: yeah and for those who haven't listened to your podcast with brad Guffson. What is that all about?
1: Well, so Unearthed, shameless plug right now. I know. If you are not listening to Unearthed, you should be because we, Brad and I, dive into, we dive deeper into leadership conversations that typically last 10 to 12 minutes. And the whole idea behind it is that, um, you know, we are going to tackle the big issues that a lot of people aren't going to tackle. We do want to get to the heart of the matter in a very quick amount of time. We are also trying to do, we're trying to model how do you have a critical conversation and stay professional and not make it personal. Um, so I think that, that that's another takeaway. And then at the end of our show, we always have the stake in the ground. And um, if you've ever listened to Unearth, then uh, you've heard of the stake in the ground, but it's basically the takeaway of the episode or of the show. And we also challenge our listeners to leave their own stake in the ground on some form of social media. Um, Brad and I have roughly 70 episodes out there. We've been doing it for almost three years. We, uh, Brad and I have crossed paths so many different times, and it's not just because our initials are BG and BG. Um, that is true, and it's not just because he's from Minnesota and Michigan with Eminem. Brad's just a great guy. Yes. Um, he is genuine. He's funny. He really leads with his heart. Um, I trust him. We started a Voxer group several years ago and you know between Todd Nesloni and, and Brad we um, we try to vox each other on a fairly regular basis and and it's just become it's become a bit of a brotherhood mm-hmm. and I have so many great friendships that started off on Twitter and have evolved to text messaging Voxer you name it um, that's my little plug on unearthed and if you're not listening why not get on there
0: they need to mm-hmm. so in closing yep. what is the most enjoyable
1: aspect of leadership this is going to be a little bit different perspective. I, I mean, I'm going to tell you the what I enjoy is I enjoy some of the struggles, the challenges, being able to problem solve and being able to help people be the very best that they can be. I get a lot of enjoyment on today. Today in particular, um, last week, you know, I have sat down with with several teachers and had conversations that have been so deep and genuine. I think the world of my staff. And I know there are times that they don't think the world of me. <laughs> I understand. I get it. But I think the world of my staff. And my favorite thing to do is to sit down and problem solve and, and try to help them be the very best that they can be. And also understand who they are. And if I, could, if I could say one thing to an aspiring principal, one thing I did from the get-go is I learned my staff, I learned their kids' names I learned their spouse names, I learned what their spouses do, and if they had older kids that went to college, I learned what college, because if you want to build trust, you have to know your people. And sometimes those first few years, we didn't actually talk about some of the things in in the classroom. We talked about, how's your spouse? How are they doing at UPS? We talked about, hey, your, your kid's at um, University of Michigan State. How's that going? And we would have those real conversations that they understood from the get-go that I cared about them as a person first. That might not be the approach that everybody takes, but I'm going to tell you, if you want to build relationships, you need to know who your people are and who's important to them.
0: How can our listeners connect with you on social media?
1: Um, social media, uh, pretty easy. On Twitter, at Benjamin Gilpin, it's B E N J A M I N G I L P I N. On Voxer, on Voxer, it's the same thing, Benjamin Gilpin. And I promise I do respond to Voxer messages, promise. Uh, the next one is as far as Facebook. Facebook, I'm on there, is Ben Gilpin. Facebook is not my preferred choice, but uh, I, I do check it on occasion. And I am also on Instagram and I do like Instagram. And there again, that is also Benjamin Gilpin. So those are it. And I also have a website, but I will tell you, it is a work in progress. So check out the other things first.
0: Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and share your ratings and reviews. Don't forget to use the Aspire lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on Twitter. Ben, thank you so much for being on the program.
1: Joshua, I appreciate the invite. Thank you again. Um, I'm, I'm hoping people have some takeaways from this.